listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi there, my name is Jeffrey Piddle and I'm a senior creative director. I work in all sorts of different verticals, mostly entertainment, so that includes film, TV, animation, events, experiential, you name it, I work in it. You might know me for a lot of my film and TV work. I've worked on trailers and announced trailers and things for things like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Green Lantern, Rango, Kick-Ass, Deal or No Deal, Miss America, Dr. Phil. So I'm all over the place. But uh, what I'm working on these days, I just finished up uh, literally four years of work on an animated short film called The Tattooed Torah, which was just uh, nominated uh, for an Oscar. And just finished up some work for the new movie called Nobody with Bob Odekirk. But lots of other projects in the queue. So we'll talk about those coming up. Jeffrey Piddle, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you, Chris. You are welcome. I am so proud and excited to have you on here. Uh, your resume speaks for itself. The, the quality of your work speaks for itself and the range of work in which you've done. I mean, just just what you mentioned there in the intro uh, is is sort of tantalizing. You want to dig into that right away, but that's just sort of scratching the surface. I'm going to read a little bit from your bio to give the audience a deeper sense of, of what I mean. And of course, this is the internet, so if any of it sounds incorrect, you just let me know at the end and we can we can fix it. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it a little bit here. Jeffrey Piddle has spent his life creating powerful images and stories on film, print, and animation. A native of New Jersey, Piddle was educated at the School of Visual Arts in New York. Piddle got his start in traditional animation in New York City and quickly branched out into television and film. He is a three-time Addy winner and a two-time Telly Award winner, as well as being featured in the international who's who's of professionals. As a senior creative director with 25 years of hands-on and executive level experience, Piddle is known for guiding the development and execution of award-winning motion graphics, special effects, and 2 and 3D animation projects for world-class brand identity and entertainment clients. He established his profitable, award-winning creative consultancy, Piddleworks, to specialize in the development and production of quality, story-driven animation projects, building a world-class roster of 200-plus multi-contract television film clients, including Walt Disney, Imagineering, Universal Studios, Warner Brothers, and Nickelodeon. Under this banner, he and his team have guided concept to completion execution of TV show opens, bumpers, channel IDs, motion graphics, promos, and film titles utilizing cutting-edge motion graphics technology and production techniques. Last but certainly not least, Piddle is a strategic and creative powerhouse with proven ability to accurately assess 
client needs and produce compelling concepts that engage target markets, enhance brand awareness, and generate millions of dollars in revenue. He's also known as an effective leader, mentor with exceptional design, communication, presentation, and budget management skills with a solid track record of delivering multiple high-profile projects on concurrent timelines. And as a director, Piddle has held music videos, commercials, and special effects. His credits include commercials for Spike TV, music videos for Stacey Francis and Shaka Khan, as well as shoots for Chris Brown, Sierra, Celine Dion, and Elton John. That is quite the list of accomplishments. Which music video was your most fun to shoot, most challenging? Gosh, Christopher, I will tell you, man, you make it sound much more impressive than what I brag about it. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, almost like I wrote it myself, but uh, I, I won't credit the writer. Um, boy, music videos. I'll tell you what, one of the most fun and creative music videos I had a chance to work on is one that will never see the light of day, unfortunately. Uh, and sometimes that happens with our projects. Um, I, I've worked on at least two films that are mired in legal, so they may never come out. But music oh, videos, I, I got to do uh, a music video with the incomparable uh, Shaka Khan. And this, uh, I had actually pitched this to her. Uh, I was working for a company called QB, which was a tech startup at the time. And uh, unfortunately, doesn't exist anymore. But I was VP of creative there at the time. And we had a lot of celebrities come in to shoot content for the platform. Uh, what the platform was, it was uh, very uh, high tech. So you could pull up your desktop and someone could walk out over all of your icons and talk to you. Um, so we, we could shoot anything on green screen and actually apply it to your mobile phone or your, your desktop. It was, it was ahead of its time, uh, just couldn't survive the, the tech uh, marketplace. Anyway, Shaka was one of our clients. And she wanted to do a music video for a new song, but she wanted to do it on the platform. She wanted to release it that way. So she and I met with my team and we storyboarded out a concept. And it, it was something that is near and dear to my heart, which is time travel. Uh, one of my favorite subjects, one of my favorite type of movies. And um, the idea was to take it from present Shaka to the past and to the future. Uh, all in the same music video. So we shot, uh, we, we kind of wrote a, a rough rough draft of it, an outline, did some storyboards. I oversaw everything from the choreography to the costuming. Uh, we went steampunk in the past. We went uh, really cool kind of matrix in the future, lots of black leather trench coats and things. Um, and I also designed all the the settings that she was going to be in. And so directed the shoot. We had a lot of motion capture, a um, lot of, you know, green screen markers, lots of special effects. We actually finished the video. And unfortunately, the uh, the platform went bankrupt. Wow. And because it was shot and designed for the platform, it wasn't really applicable to broadcast. And so the song came out. Uh, unfortunately, the video never has and remains in the archives until we figure out a way to bring it back from the dead. Are you legally allowed to put it on a website or let anybody see it? Nope. That's in, uh, in Shaka Khan's, uh, wheelhouse. Uh, she, she owns the rights to it because of how, uh, how the deal was signed. And so I do have it, but I, I'm not, uh, 
allowed to share, unfortunately. As I like to say, NDAs are in my blood, uh, so I've... I've done a lot of things that I can never share, unfortunately, but <laughs> I, I can talk about it. So I'm happy to talk about it. Oh, man. It's like you're sitting on um, you're sitting on the world's most valuable NFT right now. You know, seriously. And don't think I haven't thought about that. But uh, <laughs> my, my my business acumen would not allow me to do such a thing. So. Yeah, you got to work it out for sure. Um, yes. So much to dig into there, uh, by the way, I'm. A big fan of time travel as well. We uh, worked on a movie called Another Version of You mm. uh, that you can watch anywhere. And uh, it deals with parallel universes, so a different type of time travel. But I also happen to know that you're a big Star Trek fan. And we we oh. had, a, we have a, had a previous guest named Joey Von Hager, who I affectionately call Joey Bags. <laughs> and... <laughs> And he's a huge Star Trek fan, and he has he gets into these debates all the time with Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. And he has this wonderful quote that says, uh, uh, "Because I asked him why why should someone watch Star Trek instead of Star Wars?" Right. He said, "Star Trek is for adults." <laughs> so, so that oh. that cuts deep. What? How, where do you stand on this? Oh, that. That that hurt me from over here. Um, it just makes makes me think of uh, William Shatner's you know get a life skit from SNL way back you know, and I I've been blessed to to meet actors and techs and and filmmakers from both universes. So I'm a fan of both. Um, but yeah, you know, th- there's an interesting storytelling. I, I'm all about telling the story, not the media that we t- we tell it in necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why, you know, something like Star Trek to me, if you, if you look at where it started with Gene Roddenberry and the stories he wanted to tell, uh, he he kind of loosened the reins on his storytelling by putting it into the future, and uh, you know here's here's a crew. Okay, we, we can we can look at this and go, well, that that could be an army battalion, that could be, you know, sailors on a ship. He put him in space, you know, and so brilliant. And look, everyone calls Star Wars, you know, a space Western, space opera. Um, so not dissimilar, but it's a much different, um, gosh, a different path, I think, where we had an episodic television versus, you know, film storytelling. So I, I always like the idea of coming back to the same group Um episodically and seeing what's happened to them you kind of get to live your life it's it's a little bit back to the the serial filmmaking uh of the 40s you know and uh you know you got to go back to the theater next week if you want to see what happened to uh you know roy rogers or whatever does he fall off the cliff with you know right his horse and whatever so yeah i'm I'm a star trek fan but you know i'll never turn down a, a star wars marathon so i love it all right Man of my own heart, I say, why, why fight? Yep, <laughs> we yep. can enjoy the, we can enjoy let's, them both. Let's love it all. And by the way, your your film is on my list of time travel films to watch, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, you got to text me and let me know what you think afterwards. Uh, pure indie film, it's, you're, you're going to love it. Um, and I'm in there a couple of times as a, as an Easter egg, so uh, oh, hopefully right. you so, can pick me out of out of the crowd a few times. IMDb, uh, I, I hear you. There, there we go. Um, <laughs> The company that you said went under, did you say it was QB? 
Yes, sir. And uh, we were the first QB, not the Q-U-I-B-I QB, which also went away, unfortunately. But, man, you got to love tech people and filmmakers and people wanting to come out and do something different. Vertical filmmaking is a relatively new thing. And, uh, man, they tried, and they had some powerhouses behind them trying to do it. But, yeah, this was a different platform, um, but still cool. It would have been a great idea that, that now other apps and platforms have kind of taken on those uh, qualities and come to market. So it probably wouldn't be around anyway, but it would have been nice to uh, survive long enough to see the natural progression of it. Yeah, I, I think that's the way to go, vertically integrated. And the problem with vertical integration is it just you have to have so much burn rate. You have to have so much capital to oh, yeah. to own all those components yeah. to make it truly vertical. But when you said that, it made me think of one of your quotes that you uh, had back from 2014. Mm -hmm. um, you said, it's not what you know, it's who you know that can help you sell what you know. Boy, Talk, uh, talk to me about that quote and, and why you made sort of the adjustment on the old cliche. <laughs> I Well, you use the word cliche, and it really is the, the, the old one, at least. And I, I have always found, look, this is a, a gosh, it's a relationship business, uh, filmmaking, animation, all of it. If you are an introvert, which I started out as, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sociable now and, and can... Uh, hold my own in a party in a room, but I wasn't always that way. And honestly, before I hit college, I, I was a pretty quiet guy. Well, you can sit around forever and wait for somebody to knock on your door or, or, or phone you and go, Piddle, man, I got the best job for you. You're the first person I thought of. If nobody knows you, <laughs> uh, that doesn't ever happen. Um, so, so I learned that yeah, you gotta you gotta walk the walk and and talk the talk and be able to deliver what you say you can, but if you're doing it in a vacuum, you're not doing it, you know. And, and so, look, being an independent filmmaker is is a whole other story. You're doing it on your own because that's how you want to do it. Uh, you want to get to another plateau, but you need to go out and, and press the flesh, as they say, shake hands, meet people, go to places where people you'd like to be like hang out. Uh, one of my best quick stories is as a student at SVA School of Visual Arts in Manhattan, um, one of my teachers um, suggested, you know, I wanted to get into animation, traditional animation, hand-drawn. Uh, and he said, you need to go where the animation is. You can learn about it all day long Go make coffee for the animators. Go sweep the floors. Don't mm. be proud. Look over their shoulders when they're working. Ask questions. If you're there helping them and you become friendly with them, they're going to be more willing to share that knowledge. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, damned if he wasn't right. You know, so it, it makes all the difference. If you're, look, today we've got computers. Uh, you know, I'm sitting in my home office here. I can do the, I, I, did animate a, a, a short feature film here uh, over the past three, four years. And, you know, we can work in our basements and our closets and our cell phones and our laptops now. So it's way different from when I was going to college. You know, I graduated in 91. We had just bought at, at college a uh, the early classic Macintosh, what we call it classic now. Right. It was a black, black and white box. Um, and they had just come out with a piece of software you could do a pencil test with. So that was, that was huge. We were literally working in film before that. 
I, I learned how to load film cartridges, shoot, shoot on the, you know, a, a film stand and all of that, do optical effects. So, you know, you, you got to get out there and be where the work is. Um, my first three film jobs, I, I worked on Scrooged with Bill Murray, The Christmas Story. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked on Crocodile Dundee 2, and I worked on Caddyshack 2. I am not credited on any of those films, but I do have pay stubs as proof. So, But <laughs> what I did, we had bulletin boards up at SVA where people were looking for people to come help on their films, but also actual big film production studios would post looking for PAs and things like that, production assistants. So I went on the weekend. I, I took a train to Queens from Manhattan in the cold, in the dead of winter, and I was a PA. And what I did, my first job on Scrooge, was I sat in a parked car on a Queens street overnight, freezing my ass off, couldn't run the car. <laughs> um, and the purpose was because that's where they were going to put the film crane in the morning and they didn't want any of the residents to take up the spots. Right. I got paid really well. And Bill Murray brought us all coffee the, mor- the, the morning of the shoot. And I'm like, holy that's shit, awesome. here's sorry. Bleep me out if you have to. Um, no, no, you can say what he, you want to say. He, here's Bill Murray. Make it as for with, adults. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ha- hanging with us, uh, shooting the shit. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. I don't even care if they pay me. Um, and same things on Crocodile Dundee 2 and, and Caddyshack. I was like, I don't care what work I'm going to do. This is where the, the magic happens. This is where the film's being made. Yeah, you get a little bit of starstruck going on. But, you know, like like you mentioned earlier, you know, I've I've directed Chris Brown. I've, I've shot with Celine Dion. It's like you, you eventually learn that people, uh, celebs are people uh, just like anybody else. They put their pants on the same way. And once you can kind of crack that, celebrity thing you can become friends with them and 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 that's really what i've always tried to do personality wise uh, on projects yeah i agree uh, in my experiences with uh, celebrities or stars they the first thing they want to do is take a moment to assess who you are yes so are you a person that's going to be a fan and then mm-hmm. then they wear a different hat are you a person right. they're going to work with do you bring value um are you successful in your own right? Just not in a way that's um, or in a way that's perhaps more anonymous. And then, and then you can have that, that friendship, but I do want to take it back to, to the beginning a little bit with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know in the bio, I mentioned you were born in New Jersey and went to school for visual arts in New York, but you really grew up in Coral Springs, Florida. Yes. Uh, Ended up going to Florida state university uh, as, as well. But uh, I'm curious, was there a moment before you got to New York, before you went to the School of the Visual Arts, before you got into this, was there a moment where you knew that you wanted to be in the creative arts for life? Boy, and and the way you just said that for life, that that couldn't be a truer statement. Um, It's in your blood. Uh, uh, You know, and I'll get to the moment in one second. But, you know, when I went to college, it was the first time I, I'd ever really hung around other creatives, uh, even mm. though we we're all fresh and new creatives, uh, people of similar mind. So, you know, when we graduated, there was never any doubt that this was my life. This is what I was going to pursue because I was already pursuing it. But I can't say that for all my classmates. In fact, I'm probably one of the only 
working in the business alumni from my year and, and my division, wow. you know, f- film animation. Um, and man, we had some talented cats there. So yeah, it, it's, it's a lifetime effort every day when you get up, you know, you're going to do it. And, and so, but, but a lot of people didn't and, and it's either drive. I, I was just born this way, as they say, you know, I, I'm being creative if you're not paying me to be creative, it's just what I do. And, yeah. and I love it. So the, the moment, and, and it's funny, um, gosh, it, it, it's been a, a natural progression for me. But when I, when I, uh, oh gosh, when I first decided, I've been drawing since I was like three years old, not well, uh, you know, but, but, you know, <laughs> you know, about a foot up off the floor, you know, crayon across all the walls. But, uh, you know, I, I started off as an artist doing my, my little comic books with my buddy across the street. Um, and then, you know, would go to the theater and, and go watch TV and all those things. So I kind of crawled up through, through all of that. But I think, you know, the seventies, you know, I was born in 68. I think the seventies, especially the Disney classics of the time, like Winnie the Pooh, the rescuers, Pete's dragon, especially, um, caught my attention animation wise. And, and then I, I found out that those things were being created by a company called Disney. And so all of a sudden I had this infatuation with Disney. But I would say, so somewhere in the mid to late 70s, but even things like the Muppet movie in 79, stuff like Herbie the Love Bug were influential in me wanting to get into film. I was like, this is magical. You know, these are puppets, you know, and it's a whole film. And I don't see any people, you, know, you see some people, but right. you don't see the people operating the puppets. They're, they're the characters. And I was like, who's this Jim Henson guy? So, <laughs> you know, and, and then we know what happened in 77 with Star Wars. Holy crap. You know, I, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Me and my, my little brother sitting on a blanket on top of my mom and dad's car at a drive-in, you know, and holy crap, the 20th century Fox, you know, all that fanfare. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm about to experience, but I'm, I'm strapping in for it. And that changed a lot, a lot of my life. Um, but I've always loved the escapism, you know, and, and I think that's why, you know, I've had such a varied experience. I've wanted to try everything, you know, I'll grab a boom mic, I'll grab the camera, a lot of people call me a unicorn. That may not be a, a complimentary term always because <laughs> they don't know what to do with me. Because um, they're like, oh, you do print? Wait, but you do animation. Wait, you direct? Like, nobody specifically does that. And it's it's just because I've always been interested in the process. You know, you, you want to see what it takes to, to uh, you know, make the hot dogs, as they say. The answer... Uh to the question, what to do with Jeffrey Piddle is everything. Uh, yes. <laughs> everything. Let me come I hope so. <laughs> that you mentioned technology and the power of technology and, and how it changes our world and even our work and, and what we're going to do and even how you had to go where the animation is happening. What are the advantages? Because we've talked about the School for the Visual Arts NYC a few times. What are the advantages, in your opinion, of going to visual arts school versus learning, let's say, on Creative Live or Linda? Sure, sure. And, and uh, man, you know, Linda is a great resource. It's something I, I, I do use. Um, my biggest thing, I'll tell you what, anybody who thinks they know everything are obviously 
not well taught. Um, we're always learning. We're always students of, of life, you know? And so yes. we live in an amazing time. And I'm going to sound really old when I say it, but I was around <laughs> at, it, look, the internet started way before even I was born. But, I, you know, when, when things came into prominence, you know, I had my first TRS-80 and Apple IIe and get my hands on the, you know, internet. And I'm going to I'm going to freak out some of your listeners because they're going to have to go Google this. You know, what's a BBS, you know, bulletin board systems. Um, go check them out. They were crazy cool. Um, I, I was online trying to find out everything I could about graphics, computers, video games. You know, I subscribed to all the magazines, Cinemagic, Starlog, you know, may they rest in peace, you know, to, to learn everything I could. Be insatiable about your knowledge. You know, don't be afraid today, especially to pursue a favorite artist or a filmmaker. Um, man, look, look, at you can go on Twitter and go, you know, shout out to Chris Evans, say, man, your Captain America was the best. And he's going to he, he might respond, you know, holy crap. Right. Back when I was in college, it's like I, I literally you know, could, uh, I saw Sidney Poitier uh, uh, sitting on a stoop across from uh, where I was living at the time. And I got to go up and talk to the dude. It's like different world, different place, but look at the opportunities we have. YouTube has hundreds of thousands of tutorials. Um, and it's free. It's free. You can watch it on your phone. You can watch it at home. If you, if you use the Adobe creative suite in your work, they offer such a massive knowledge base. Um, quick, quick story uh, about, um, learning, you know, I, I lived, sure. like you mentioned in South Florida for many years, uh, during high school and all that. And I want to say I was a sophomore in high school and was really into my comic books, you know, big collector. I would draw every day, come up with my own characters, try and get my, my art skills better. And my mom mentions an article in the newspaper, local newspaper about Will Eisner, uh, and his studio. And I'm like, well, holy crap, he's in Boca Raton. That's like 15 minutes away. <laughs> right. So I'm like, mom, drive me down there. And she's like, you can't just show up on a dude's front porch. She didn't say dude, probably I did. But, um, you know, I'm like, please. I'm like, I'll knock if he says, you know, take a hike, kid. I'm, I'm done. But maybe he won't, you know. And so I brought my portfolio down there. I brought, you know, brought my my pens and everything and i rang the front door but my, my mom sat in the car at the end of the driveway ready to be my escape vehicle if, if it didn't go well and he actually invited me into his house sat me down in his studio and let me watch him draw and he was working on the spirit back then which is what he's most well known for mm -hmm. and, and he was older at this point he, he had had an amazing career i mean there are awards named after you know will eisner and uh, comic strips and I mean you name it and here's this guy sitting in Boca in his house working on his comic very successful and he took time to sit there that afternoon and he said and he wasn't kidding you come back anytime you want here's my phone number you have any questions about shading or composition and you know he signed a little thing for me I was because he knew I was a fanboy and and, and I was <laughs> and um but if you don't ask, you don't know. And there's so many artists and filmmakers who are afraid to raise their hand. So to me, I think always be a student, always be humble, uh, and, and don't be afraid to ask a question. The worst someone's going to tell you is no. Yeah, it's so simple, but 
it, it is made difficult by our ego, by our pride. You mentioned pride earlier. I think we often take for granted the part you said earlier, like, Hey, you could just literally tweet at Chris Evans and he might respond to you. Right. Like, but, but we have this rule that we've created for ourselves. It says, Oh no, talented people that have, or people that have real talent don't do that. That's not how they get access. That's not what they do. And I think it's just a story we tell ourselves to keep ourselves from doing the thing that makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I love that story. Um, you mentioned your work on Crocodile Dundee and Scrooge. I love Scrooge, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm in the minority on that. I don't know. And Caddyshack, too. But then there's a, um, a, a 20 year gap before we see another credit that you put sort of on your profile. Uh, what happened in those years after Caddyshack 2 up to 2007? Boy, I was in growth mode um, and learning mode, you know, that we just spoke about. I was I was trying to find my way, you know, even though, you know, God has blessed me with with talent. I wasn't always sure what I what path, you know, coming out of college. I was like, I want to be an animator. I went to work in an animation studio. Mm-hmm. I realized I wanted to create the stories and the characters, not draw the same eyelash 10,000 times. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> and not everybody's cut out for it. And I knew I wasn't, even though I loved it. I'm like, I'm going to come back to this from a different angle later, you know? And and that was okay. I, I knew I hadn't failed. It was just, uh, wasn't for me. And But I, I respect, even to this day, people who can uh, repetition kind of kills me. So that's that's one of my uh, super weaknesses. I, I have to kind of jump in and, and do something fresh. Mm-hmm. But, um, sorry, Chris, I, I just totally lost my train of thought. No, no, we were we were talking about the, that gap, those gap years you yes, took. Yes, between, yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, so it, it was a progression for me. You know, I, I started off as an artist animator, then I... I got into little like commercial jobs, commercial work, storyboarding for for uh, an ad, uh, commercial design. So a lot of logo design, print work, um, layouts. I started doing special effects, both uh, physical, uh, practical, and optical. Hmm. Uh, I, I started dabbling in things that I wanted to do. So art direction became a, a natural progression for me but it it was a natural place for me to land i I knew a lot of different styles just from observing different styles as i do to this day and i could offer that so when someone was looking for something different or something retro or something that hadn't been seen um, i could come with a lot of different options and that's always been one of my my strong skill sets is coming at things from a, a different point of view so those years, I also got into video. So I worked mm. in post-production, uh, mostly in animation and post-graphics. And so I was doing everything from TV commercials to show opens to, uh, gosh, you name it. I worked on a lot of infomercials. Look, you got you got to earn your wings somewhere. And, and I wasn't proud. I was like, this is cool. I, you know, this is going to be seen on, you know, 2 a.m. on you know, home shopping <laughs> network. And I, I, my mom will be proud and right. maybe buy, buy one. So it wasn't a failure, mm-hmm. but I took what work there was, you know, and, and again, part of that was 
who you know, you know. And so I, I did network. This, look, this, like I said, it's a relationship-based thing. So people that I met uh, on a set, I didn't lose touch with them. One of the coolest jobs I've had, and and I don't think it's listed anywhere, though I'm very excited to announce that it's publicly available for the first time. Uh, I was a junior in college, and my cousin's husband uh, worked at a puppet company. Mm. I mentioned puppets earlier. Yes. It was called th- it's called Three Design Studios, and his name is Jim Krupa. Very well-known uh, puppet, Muppeteer and puppeteer. And uh, he's like, why don't you come down to this shop? You know, I, I know you, you know, got a lot of free time on your hands and you help us out. And because they had heard that I, I was an artist and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I went down to the shop. Man, you just imagine Brownstone, New York City, walk up four flights of stairs, you know, but you walk up and it's all brick. And but there's literally all this fabric and felt and googly eyes and puppets. And I was like. This is amazing because, you know, hey, I fell in love with the Muppets back in 79. So this was like heaven. Right. And first day I'm there, he's like, we're right in the middle of um, doing this uh, new TV commercial. And we created the character. I'm like, cool. What's what's it about? And he's like, it's called Snuggle. And it's this little teddy bear. And uh, so they they were right getting ready to shoot that. But he's like, come back here and take a look at some. He opens up a, a drawer. And he pulls out one of the original Kermit the Frog puppets. And wow, wow. Okay, here I am. And I'm like, I'm about to faint because I'm like, that's like the Holy Grail, you know. But they, they, these, these were the guys who built Muppets. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of them had worked for Sesame Workshop and all that. And, but they opened up their own shop, th- three, three of their, their friends uh, opening up. But they were doing a lot of TV work and film work. They, worked on a film called little monsters back then. Yeah. 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 And so there were, there were some really cool invisible effects where like a payphone had to be picked up and I know, sorry, Google payphone, not everybody's gonna know what that is, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, a payphone gets picked up and the buttons get pushed by itself Well, this is before computer animation. So they had rigged this thing and they puppeteered it and it was so freaking cool. And I'm like, they're, they're like, come on down and watch, you know, watch the shoot. And I'm like, man, here I am on a, on another film shoot. I'm not getting paid for it, but I'm like, you can't get experience like that. And Rich Little, the comedian happened to be in the film and he was parked at the corner. He saw me watching from, you know, back on the, on the curb to stay out of the way. Cause I'm like, I don't know where the hell I'm supposed to even stand. So I'm, I'm going to be back here. He rolled his window down and said, like, Hey, I walked over, I recognized him, but I, I didn't connect names. And he's like, what are you doing? And explained to him my story. And he was like, I was just thinking the same thing. This is amazing what they do. I always wondered how they, they do those crazy things. And so long story short, cause I know I'm making it long. So, so Jim, uh, one of the owners, he's like, look, you know, we've enjoyed having you around you know, a couple weeks and would you like a job? And I'm like, mm. well, holy hell, you know, come on, bring it on. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a poor college student, so I'm trying to get through film school. So he said, we're on this new show for Nick Jr., which uh, hasn't been around for a while, but is back now, called Eureka's Castle. Oh, yes, and, I remember that show. <laughs> yeah, super popular. Uh, and so when I said it hasn't been available, a couple of VHS episodes 
never DVD or Blu-ray release. You couldn't get it. Um, even toys, they brought back rug, Rugrats and, and all these other things from the time. But Eureka's Castle got left out. And so I just heard from one of the, the puppeteers on it that Paramount Plus has now released the entire library of Eureka's Castle. So I may have to go subscribe just to relive uh, some of that. But my job, uh, and it was really cool. This was at, at a time, you know, probably 1990 or 89, when uh, when you hear about Times Square and 42nd Street today, it's like, oh, it's Disney-fied and, and it's really cool. Nah, back then it was still porno theaters and really shady <laughs> places. So I had fun walking around, but so, so this studio, I'd, I'd come in early in the morning and my job was twofold. I, I would build props for upcoming episodes for the puppets, or I would do secondary puppeteering, which was really exciting for me. So I got to puppeteer things like arms or occasionally a tail or a random fish character that they didn't have an extra hand to puppeteers. But right. to me, man, that, that was heaven. I was like, so some of my favorite career stories come from this job. Uh, one day I was sitting in my prop room getting the puppets prepped and whatever. And I hear a familiar voice down the hallway from the, the green room. And I'm like, man, I, I know that voice. So I, so I go to investigate little, uh, gentleman, white hair, you know, it looked old to me, but I, I was a, a you know a young teen in college, so everybody looked old to me. Um, and I'm like, did anybody ever tell you you sound just like Big Bird? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, all the time. And and I'm like, and and then Jim turned to me and he's like, well, this is Carol. And I'm like, oh, good to meet you. And he's like, he is Big Bird, and he's also Oscar the Grouch, and and he he was he was the puppeteer for Big Bird till he passed away. I guess about two years ago, three years ago. Oh, wow. and, um, so nice with his time though. I mean, man, he, uh, he just sat and came into the, into the prop room with me and checked out what I was doing. He's like, this is really nice work. And just, but he'd been around it for so many years. I mean, I grew up on Sesame street. So, you know, here, here's somebody I didn't know I respected cause I didn't know he existed until I, I met the gentleman, but right. Um, and the coolest spinoff story of that. Uh, and I, I'll end it here is, um, I go to a lot of sci-fi conventions when, when we used to have those before the pandemic mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, horror conventions. Cause my, my son, Sam, who's now 17 loves horror. So while it wasn't necessarily my bag of tricks, I was like, Hey, something we can bond over. Let's go do it. But one, one year, a couple years back, <clears throat> we were at a horror convention. And so we, he got to meet a, a bunch of cool people and, walking down the middle aisle we're looking for some some good swag and whatever and somebody yells out hey piddle but <laughs> he's like dad did you just hear big bird call out hey piddle and i'm like what are you talking about and i turn around and down the aisle in the aut autograph alley is carol spinney and uh he had remembered me 20 some odd years later and i'm like man, I'll always remember you. And I'm like, what made you even recognize me? And he's like, nah, you don't change that much. And he's like, your last name is too crazy not to remember. But I figured you had a kid with you and that was probably your son. So might as well get you over here and, and mess with his head and, and talk like Oscar the Grouch for a few minutes. And 
Sam was impressed for a couple seconds, but he, he was too big at the time to, to care about Sesame Street. But it, it made my day. I've got a picture of the three of us together, which, uh, which I cherish because that, that was a cool moment. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever hear that again and make it podcast history that did the phrase, did Big Bird just yell, hey, Mr. Piddle? <laughs> <laughs> nope, and I will never experience it again, unfortunately. I, I wish he was still with us because uh, he, he was a cool cat. Absolutely. And I only recently found out that the Cookie Monster had a real name. I, I didn't know that. Or, or the Oscar the Grouch. No, no, it was the Cookie Monster. I think he had a real name. I, I, I never knew this. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of witchcraft. They they try not to use it because you kind of it's like saying Beetlejuice three times. You release all sorts of demons and things. That, that's right. That's right. We got to keep <laughs> keep that on the low. Uh, exactly. you, you you mentioned just like so you meet Carol and you meet Jim and you sit on the porch with Sidney Portier and you're wearing all these hats and yeah. you have this this sort of wonderful um, uh, flora. Of, 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 of people you've come across in your career. And I'm sure that means that you've had some meaningful conversations. So I, I'd love to know what, what are the best two pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and, and who did they come from? Sure, sure. Well, one of them was long dead, but I have embraced the quote and the, the advice, I would say. But um, I'll tell you what, Leonardo da Vinci was a, a pretty smart guy. Um, Never met him, obviously, without my time machine. But, you know, a, a quote that is attributed to him, at least, is that art is never finished. It is abandoned. And as an artist, that's a really hard thing. And, and when I you hear me interchangeably using the word artist and filmmaker, I it's because I do interchange them, they're the same to me. Um, so when I say art is never finished, that could mean your film, that could mean uh, your sculpture, it could mean anything you're working on. But, you know, what I interpreted this as is you need to find a stopping point. There is no perfectionism in being an artist. You know, you always want to make it better. I could spend two more weeks, but my deadline's in an hour, you know. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's not always about making it best for what Piddle wants. It's about making it for who I'm doing it for. Um, you know, you always want to make it better. But in the world of production, you know, like I said, we've got deadlines. So you have to find peace at the crossroads, you know, and and that takes a long time. That's that's a maturity thing. Um, and yeah, I'm more mature than some, I suppose. But you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's experiential. You know, you you see what doesn't work. You know, um, I can only tell a client three or four times it's going to be another hour because I'm trying to tweak something to make myself feel better, where nobody else is ever going to see it. You know, they're going to watch it. It's going to be beautiful. Not going to see those two pixels that need to shift over, or right? Whatever. But yeah, I'll tell you what. It's it's all about self discipline. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely one piece. And and I would tell any listener to embrace that because you you will be the biggest cause for your own stress in your life if you can't find a happy medium point. You know, and and I did it for a lot of years. I ran every scenario oh crap if it's two hours late they're never going to hire me again or or i'm going to miss this and not get paid or yeah you know all those are possibilities but just do it the more you think about doing it the less you do you know so that's that's important and, and then um very blessed to have uh, uh one of my instructors at sva uh, was howard beckerman very mm -hmm. famous uh gentleman uh, animated Popeye uh, for the Fleischer brothers um, has 
taught at SVA for many years. He was involved in like 1950s big ad ad campaigns and things like that. But some of his best advice, um, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but, you know, look around, um, you know, always see the bigger picture. He was always about the bigger picture. Don't get lost in the details. You know, when you begin, you'll, you'll just get quagmired. You know, you really have to know the basics. In his case, he was an animator. So you need to know the basics before you approach, you know, your, your, pad of paper or your computer because you have to be able to bring something to it more than what's already there. You know, you, you have to know the basics. Um, takes a, a lot of maturity, I think, um, to understand the work process. You can, and this is so true, you could put a lot of hours in and sometimes nothing comes of it, but you still have to do it. And that's sometimes the hardest, taking that first step, knowing oh, man, I'm going to be working for 20 hours. And like I said, I've got stuff that no one will ever see. You know, that's 20 hours of my life that I can't get back. But, man, it was a good ride, even though I'm the only one who saw it. Mm-hmm. But um, he also used to say, a lot, you know, you you need to genuinely care about doing a good job, and that usually means that you will. Uh, one of the biggest things he taught me um, wasn't just about animation, but how to behave like a professional. I was just a kid with some, you know, God-given talent, and you know, here here he was. He had run with some huge names and companies, and been in the business a long time. And uh, you know, he he taught me how to listen, not mm-hmm. just listen to respond, but to truly listen. And and that's probably one of my greatest talents. And, and a lot of people have said, as as a boss, as a leader. Uh, they love working with me because I, I do truly listen. I do care. Um, but also, if you listen to listen, you can come back with something constructive. If you're just listening to go, mm-hmm, right, that sounds right. What's anybody getting out of the conversation? You might as well not be talking. So um, being professional, that's that's something I see lacking today. A lot, a lot of good artists just don't have uh the personalities and we're seeing it in cancel culture today man people are getting called out on the on the spotlight and i'll say amen it's it's time you know uh, there've been plenty of talented bad individuals in all all businesses for many years and uh, it's cool that uh people are taking a stand against it but yeah be a professional man if you again you know Stick around the people that you want to be like. You, you know, you are a conglomerate of the five people you you spend the most time with, and that's that's truer than than you know. I think. Let's stick on that a little bit. Uh, what what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making today? Uh, you know, I'd I'd say there's two. Uh, at least the ones that pop into my head. Um, boy, and, and I guess I'll I'll use the word mistake a little loosely, but I'm going to go with just blatant plagiarism. Um, Hmm. You know, here's another quote. That's a big problem. Yeah, you know, another quote, just because I'm in a quote mode, I guess, the the secret to creativity is knowing how to hide your sources. It's attributed to to Einstein. He never said it, Um, but it's really a rephrasing of, of Newton saying, you know, if I've seen further, it is standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, we're all about the people we that come before us um, to reach our goals. So to steal, to outright steal and plagiarize, 
first of all, it, it kills me, um, and, and it always amazes me to see. Um, but but I understand it too because there are a lot of people that get into this business that maybe don't have any right being here, uh, or they're here for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. But study what came before, use it as a reference, but don't steal it. You know, combine ideas, styles, feelings, get to a new formula, a new vision, you know. Um, And to be honest, you know, in today's always connected world, you will be found out. There is no doubt. I, I have been in personal situations where uh, overseeing a team and someone will present a logo to me. And the first thing I do and I'm going to give away a, a trade secret, everybody, so listen close. You, you go to Google Images. You can upload a picture. So I upload that logo, mm-hmm. and it will show me if that logo exists out on the Internet. So I will know that it's been stolen. It could be from, you know, a vector site or a, a whatever site. But I want to see if, if this is an original work or at least a combination of a couple of original ideas. So people always freak out when I when I call them out on things like that. But I, I have a, a short story on that is I was working at a company called Fish Eggs. Uh, in, <laughs> in, in, yeah, a great, great name and yeah, great it company. Is. It is a great name. Uh, Venice of California. And I was hired as creative director under the executive creative director. He He was just so overloaded, had so much work. This company has probably done most of the show TV show opens that you've seen. Everything from Wipeout, Deal or No Deal, we did Miss America. We, pretty much every major show that's on any of the networks uh, goes through there. So a lot of talent. And one of my jobs being hired on there was to interview new talent. So uh, I had an applicant come in and hand, hand me their, their show reel. And I sat there and I watched it. And I couldn't, I could barely contain not so much anger, but I was going to start laughing. It was actually, <laughs> it, it, it was actually my reel. And they, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And, and they cut my name off the end and put theirs on it. <laughs> and, and, and so you can picture me sitting there back. You can't back write the, this stuff, Jeff. <laughs> oh man. You can't experience it either. It's, it, it was crazy. I, I either want to laugh or just kick kick them out, but I'm like, no, nope, I'm have a little bit of fun with this. So I'm like, man, that was really cool. I was like, how many hours did it take you to do this? And you know, they spun a story for me. I'm like, what software <laughs> you used to make that effect? Oh, so I I I I couldn't take it, take it for too long. And I'm like, here, come over here. I want to show you something. So I they knew exactly where I was going because they they knew what they had done. I I pulled up my website and I pulled up my reel. They used my, the music that I used, and they didn't even try to change it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, so which of us do you think copied the other one? <laughs> and uh, they apologized profusely. They're like, I'm trying to get in into the business. I didn't have enough stuff to show, and I, I was embarrassed of what I had. I'm like, but you never know who you're going to meet. I said, what are the chances that you met the guy you actually lifted the stuff from? And I don't know how many other places you might have gone with it. Hopefully, he got you some work. But... It, <laughs> You know, I'm like, go out into this business honest, man, because now I'm not on your side, you know, and guess what? I'm not leaving this business. So when you do climb up that ladder and we meet again, just just remember how I treated you. I, well, I, I couldn't hire you, 
remember I treated you with kindness by trying to teach you a lesson, but uh, it's amazing to me what people try to try to pull off. And there's a there's a movie in there somewhere, Jeff. Oh, Just a, 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 a person who. So so the the plot is there's a kid that. Uh, or n- not even a kid, a person who's 10 years out of school, they're, they're, mm-hmm. but they've been like sort of a rolling stone. They find an obscure artist who's brilliant and they lift his work or her work. And then they start to find an insane ex- success in the business <laughs> while you, actively trying to avoid this person. I'll tell you what, you, you know, you're not wrong. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, yesterday about the Beatles. That yes. Came out of- yeah. Great movie. There's there's a great example. Okay, the Beatles never existed. Here he's the only one who remembers the songs, and he becomes this super super huge megastar until it starts to weigh on his uh, on his mind. And and so yeah, it's it's a total story, you know. And, and plagiarism too. And and this is why I even mentioned that movie. I wish we would stop rebooting existing properties. Holy crap! I don't need to see a black honeymooners. I don't need to see <laughs> the Flintstones reboot. Like, come on, I, I'm open for anything, but there are so many awesome stories sitting in people's filing cabinets that they don't yeah. know how to get to a Netflix. Just sitting in the blacklist. Yeah, yeah. For, for real. And, and, you know, I love something like Love, Death and Robots over on Netflix, you know, kind of rebooting, but not like heavy metal back, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. But here's all these original stories that are being told through animation and different styles. You know, let's do more of that. Let's, you know, do I, I love the Fantastic Four. Do I need another reboot of the Fantastic Four? I don't know that I do, but we, we I'll do watch not. it because it's Marvel. Okay. But, um, yeah, let's do some new stuff. Man, you know, Hollywood has gotten stuck. So thank God for the indie filmmakers. That's that's where we get the good stuff mostly. Amen. That's what I love to, that's what I love to hear. So. You, you talked about your love for the Muppets and falling in love with them in 79 and, and even before uh, just, you know, growing up watching some of the films and TV shows. But you're a guy who wishes Walt Disney happy birthday every year without failure. So <laughs> oh, tell, you, you, you caught that too. Jim Henson too. But yeah, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> so tell me when you fell in love with Walt Disney and, and why him? Man, I, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that Walt Disney was a person for a while. When you're younger, you hear, you know, Walt Disney Studios or Walt Disney World. You're like, you don't think about it. And then it became Disney World. And, you know, um, so they took the Walt out of Disney, as as many Disney people will tell you Disney does, unfortunately. But I learned that there was a guy behind all this. And then I read the great biographies on him and, you know, they fill my bookshelves. And I loved how this scrappy kid um, who just refused to give up. This is what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. Nobody's really doing it, but I'm going to do it. And took out a loan from his uncle and found an old garage and set up a you know a, a film stand and got his brother to raise money and has had characters stolen from him and traveled cross country to make deals with Hollywood and got screwed out of those things. And I'm like, man, that's... That's like the path that I kind of want, although maybe not quite like that, but I can skip the bad parts, just take the good parts. But um, once I did find out about Walt Disney, I I wanted to know more about him as a person, what inspired him. Um, And and same goes for Jim Henson and any number of other artists, you know. um, But Disney in particular 
had that Americana drive to him. He was a mm-hmm. small town guy with not much to his name, you know, simple beginnings, delivering newspapers and things. And and look what has become, you know, uh, of his empire, which maybe he, he thought some would happen and, and some wouldn't, but he, he directed most of the, you know, he, he pushed the direction that the company went in. Uh, did they make decisions since his death that he may not have? Of course, we, we, we can't, uh, we can't guess what he would have done, but to me, it's, it's an inspiring person. And, and we always look for that shining example that we want to be like, like I said, um, you know, Walt died two years before I was born, so I never got a chance to meet him. But uh, I have met other family members um, for my, gosh, what birthday was it? Uh, it's probably 45th or somewhere in there. Um, I always wanted to go to Club 33 at Disneyland, um, Walt's private mm. club, just for business associates and and eventually they opened it up to the public, but it was like 30,000 a year and there was like a 10 year waiting list. I'm like, I have neither of those things. I'm not going to wait that long. I don't have the money. <laughs> so I posted on Facebook. I'm like, does anybody know anybody who can get me in as a guest to club 33 for my birthday? Um, and lo and behold, one of my buddies actually knew Walt's niece. Um, and put me in touch with her, and she's like, I would love to do it. I will meet you at the front gate this day. Bring a guest. You're my guest at the park all day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home, but you're welcome to stay till they close. And holy crap, you know, like I said, if you don't ask, you don't ever get the reward, you know. And I had done nothing to earn that reward. It was just something I wanted. And very few times in my life have I really done something just for me. And this was one of those times. So I was like, I'm not going to be afraid to ask. I'm going to ask everybody. And uh, it worked out. And man, it was just as cool as I thought it was going to be. Wish Walt was there. He wasn't. But, um, you know, again, just the business acumen of somebody coming from little education, uh, just having drive. And so I've always kind of been about the drive. Um, Obviously, walking the walk is important. But man, if you don't have the energy and the desire, you know, you can come in to the best animation company with a ton of talent and sit there and be bored. Um, so yep. yeah, that's not who I want on my team, you know? And so it's, it, it is hard. And I was going to flip back real quick. Cause you know, you asked me for two mistakes and I gave you a long answer on the first one, but um, you know, art schools aren't teaching business, you know, mm. all, all these kids come out of film school and art school how do you file your taxes? You know, how do you invoice? What's your time worth? How do you balance your bank account? How do I communicate? Um, what are you worth? Who, no one tells you that. Those are critical. Yeah. The tax thing me, is wild. It took me a long way. time and some supportive mentors to, uh, to, to kind of teach me into those things. But, you know, how do we send them new graduates out into the workplace without being able to support themselves as a business? Um, so that's one of the things I would love to see change. And some of the schools have taken it on, but, uh, that's a huge, huge glaring mistake. I think, uh, in, in general, uh, for, for the arts, because, you know, look, the, the term starving artist is real, but let's not even joke about it. it and, and the pandemic, uh, I'll tell you, th- thank God I've been busiest during the pandemic cause I'm flexible. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm working on 
remote events and print work and websites for people. I'm like, I'm not proud. If it pays the bills, keeps my lights on, it's stuff I know how to do. It may not be what I want to do, but I'm good at it, so I'm going to do it. But, yeah, you, you can be a starving artist and love what you're doing and suffer for your art, which a lot of people do. But if, if you're set up to be a business and be successful and know how to go out there and and take care of yourself without having to hire a business manager and all these other expenses we can't afford, um, I, I think that speaks volumes uh, for more powerful artists. Yeah, I agree. I've long been a proponent of not just for artists, but just teach kids about money in high school. Please teach them business and yep. money in high school. Yep. Um, do not teach them in a way that presumes they're going to be working for someone else outside of themselves, you know, forever. Uh, so thank you uh, so much for that, because I, I com- com- completely agree with that uh, 100%. Um, I do want to take a, I do want to box out a little bit of time to talk about your short film, the tattoo Torah. There is a lot of conflict and, and interest and, and excitement just in the title. Oh, what is the tattoo Torah? Now, just for the audience's sake, you do have a, a, a Jewish background. I don't know if you're a reformed Jew or Orthodox or Ashkenazi or what it is you can tell us, but, but I wanted to give that context. Um, what is this about and, and what drove you to make it and why are you excited about it and when can we see it? Absolutely. Well, I, I'm going to share a link with you uh, after our, our talk that you, you, you can feel free to share uh, Absolutely. On, the, on the post where people can go to see it. It is not in distribution. We're working on that deal now, but um, let me rewind. I'll, I'll tell you how I got involved. Um so the the tattoo Torah and, and you were absolutely right about the conflict in the name. In fact, and I'm going to jump a little bit, but we're working on the Hebrew version of this now. We've done an mm. English and a Spanish version so far to rave reviews. Uh, we've won a ton of film festivals, a bunch of awards. That's that's been great. Not why we did it, but it's it's been a nice side effect. But in Hebrew, um, it is a great insult to use the word tattoo and Torah in the same sentence, never mind connected. It's, mm. it's, it's sacrilege basically. And so uh, mm-hmm. we have a board for uh, like a board of directors for each of these versions. We, we have uh, Spanish people uh, from the entertainment world and animation who are helping us, uh, you know, with scripting and voiceover and all of that. And, and same for Hebrew. And so, it was a hundred percent across the board. Everyone's like, Nope, you can't call it that. And we're like, okay, well it's already called that. Um, <laughs> it's based on a book that that's called that, that was published back, you know, uh, in the seventies. So we're not changing the name, but how do we get it in Hebrew so that it reads correctly? Um, and, and so we're, we're, we're tackling that now, but anyway, back, back to the story. Um, I I've been blessed and you've heard me say it a couple times while we've been talking about, this is relationship based. Um, wouldn't have been involved in it without a friendship. And it's a friendship who started out as a client, which I'll be honest, most of my clients are friends because we've worked together for years and years. They trust me. I trust them. They come to me first. And so this is a, a good friend of mine over about 20 years uh, named Mark Bennett. He was the director of the film. 
and had never done animation before. He was more into print medium and, and film directing. He's an artist as well, so he's done a lot of uh, big form, like gallery pieces and things, installations and things. But he was like, this is out of my wheelhouse, but there's nobody else I'm coming to but you. And I'm like, okay, what's it all about? So uh, a book published back in the 70s by a, a lady by the name of Marvell Ginsburg, mm. who was not an author before this time, but was inspired by the story. And, and I'll, I'll define the word Torah for everyone in case you're not of the Jewish uh, religion. It's basically uh, the Jewish Bible, but it's in a scroll format. So it's a scroll that we unroll and it's all written in Hebrew. But it, it tells the same story that you know, uh, the book does, but it's, it's the official form, basically one that is revered. And when we pray, they take the Torah out in the temple and, and pray from, uh, up, up at the altar. So Torah is one of the most, uh, gosh, respected and loved things in the Jewish religion. It's not how it's adorned. It's, it's, it's God's word basically. So, it, mm -hmm. you know, always to be respected. So during, the uh, Second World War, when Hitler rose to power, um, the Nazis came across Europe and ransacked many, many synagogues and basically pillaged everything that was in them, anything of worth. And they knew what the Torah meant to the Jewish people who they were trying to, you know, uh, oppress. And, and so they took all the Torahs from the synagogues. They took all of the Hanukkah menorahs, they took all of the things that would have any worth to it to a Jewish person. And they put them in warehouses as as they did famous artwork. You know, many uh, mm. famous pieces of art, there, there have been movies about it, um, were stolen and hidden in caves and things just so they could stockpile the best of the best. Mm -hmm. uh, so th this lady, Marvell, was inspired to write a book based on the true story of this one little Torah that was stolen by the Nazis. Um, it, it was a little boy in, in the synagogue's favorite Torah. He had learned to read Hebrew on it. He carried it at, at every holiday. And the Nazis came and, and took away his little Torah. And so wow. the rest of his rest of his life was devoted to tracking down and finding the Torah. Now, the, the story of the book is, is really intriguing because... It was designed, uh, Marvell was a, a teacher, um, and so she approached it, how can I talk about the most horrific thing to small children to make them understand the story? The Holocaust, you know, we, we know, and how do you talk to a child about that? And so she, she told the story from the point of view of the little boy. And so it has, this book has been embraced and reprinted many times, and is actually taught from in some cases. So uh, about four years ago, uh, now Marvell has passed. Uh, her daughter, Beth Copen, uh, wanted to do something to honor her mother's memory. And she said, I'd really like to make a film out of the book. And um, I have no idea how to do that. She's an interior decorator. That's uh, not her forte. Her son... Uh, is a rabbinical student studying to become a rabbi in the Jewish faith. He always, um, and he called his his grandmother Bubby, which is a uh, a term of uh, affection in the Jewish religion. 
Um, so his Bubby and he would sit for hours talking about stories and ideas and things. And so uh, once she passed away, Beth sat with, with him. His name is Brett Copen and said, we need to bring Bubby's story to life. How, how can we do this? And he said, I don't think film would be the right medium for this because look, the Holocaust is already horrific. No matter how we tell it in moving pictures, it's going to be a scary thing for kids. I think right. animation would work though. And so they decided that because the book is an illustrated book. It's very much like a Dr. Seuss book. There's a small number of pages. There's probably 30 illustrations. Um, and so it's, it's meant for kids. So they decided on animation uh, Beth and my friend Mark had met at a function somewhere, again, networking. And she's like, I understand you're a film director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they chatted and she's like, this is what I want to do. He's like, let me get back to you. And so he hung up that phone and called me. And he's like, I, I have no idea what to do, but we need to do this. It sounds amazing. So, you know, my job was to look at the book, try to figure out a style of animation because we talked about many different ways of doing it, but we ended up back on using the original illustrations and doing more of a puppet style where we would take the original art, cut it, layer it, paint in the parts that were missing, and then animate those, hinge right. the characters and, and do all of that to respect the original illustrations, which were popular, and also kind of tone down some of the scary stuff. Um, so Mark and I, I was on a job in Denver about four years ago, and uh, he lives in uh, Aspen, Colorado. So we met, and he's like, listen, we, we've been working on a rough script to expand the story because you couldn't even make really a short film out of, you know, 10, 12 pages. You've seen what Dr. Seuss, you know, Cat in the Hat and Horton Hears a Who and all, uh, you know, all of those things had to be an hour and a half. We're like, we're not, we're not doing that. There's not enough story here, but you know, probably 20, 30 minutes is, is fair. So they were working on that, uh, in Colorado, that meeting, I did the first rough storyboard frames, uh, eventually remotely, we put together a shot Bible and we decided we needed approximately eh, 110 more illustrations. And he looked at me and he said, do you want to do these? And I said, look, I know my limitations. I'm not a great painter. I could probably pull it off, but let's see if the original guy's still around. And so mm. Martin Lemelman, it was the original illustrator. Mm. And lo and behold, he lived about five minutes away from Mark's mother in South Florida, also where my parents were. And so he went and met Martin and uh, he said, you still have the original illustrations. And Lo and behold, here's an amazing painter and illustrator over many years had saved everyone in pristine condition. Wow. So we shipped them all out to a drum scanner and we had them scanned at incredibly high resolutions uh, to keep all the detail. And then, you know, Mark presented him the shot Bible and he said, so I need a couple more paintings. And Martin said, sure, I, I'm, I'm game. He said, I need 109 <laughs> luckily he didn't kill martin at that point because yeah I, I probably would have had a heart attack but he's like you know what um this is a good time for me to do it um the legacy of the book needs to be um 
you know, brought forward. Again, almost our entire crew is Jewish. Uh, there are some that aren't, but Martin is, Mark is. So, you know, the ma main players were. And so it, it meant something to us to tell this story. And so Martin first, being the, the consummate professional that he is, did sketches of everything to get um, off of my, my shot Bible. So I had done sketch storyboards. He worked off those to show us how the characters would fit and, and all of that C composition. I said, great, or we'd move something. And then I, you know, I realized we were going to cut them all apart and layer them. So some of that didn't matter as much. I'd, I'd rather him get a good painting and I'll move the guy to the left a little bit. And so over a couple months, he, uh, he got them all done and he, speaking of technology, he made the leap. He started doing them by hand and he said, I'm never going to get done doing these traditionally. So he moved to Photoshop and he had never painted in Photoshop. He taught himself different brushes and styles. And because he's a talented person, he uh, replicated the look at high resolution inside of Photoshop to make these new paintings. So, okay, we had the paintings and we had me and we had Mark. Um, what do we do now? I'm, I'm one person. This is not that I haven't animated 20 minutes by myself before, but it was a daunting task. And we weren't even sure if it was going to be 20 minutes at that point, uh, as we hadn't done the voiceover work for it yet. So, you know, we talked and I said, I need some help cutting these paintings apart. Um, so the people at $11 bill out in Colorado owned by Lisa Efres, um, took on, a lot of that production work for me, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I, ne I started doing it myself and I'm like, my time is best used animating, not trying to do all this, this work. Um, and so they did over a couple months and it took a while. Um, they, they did a, a vast majority of, of the, the pre-production work on it. Um, and then we, we worked on getting the voiceover done cause I wasn't, starting to animate frame one without a locked uh, audio track. Uh, we had worked with Ed Asner, um, obviously a very well-known actor from mm -hmm. Mary Tyler Moore and things like that. And right. up, you know, another small animated film, um, you know, on uh, one of those films that have never seen the light of day yet, he was uh, one of the main characters. So we're hoping it still comes out, but so we already had a relationship mark more than me, but he, he was like, Ed, would you, do this and ed is jewish and uh his parents uh he lost family in the holocaust so this is a very near and dear story to him and he's like i'm in just tell me what we need to do and uh he gave an amazing performance uh really tear-jerking a lot of places i i've watched this film so many times i i get teary-eyed every time i watch it it's just it's not even the animation just the the entire package is very well done, the music and, and all of it. But um, so, yeah, it, it took me pretty nonstop two years straight while I was working a full time job. So nights, weekends um, to animate this uh, first pass, get everything lip synced where it had to be and all of that. And um, it was about 25 minutes at that point. We ended up cutting it down to about 21 um, cause there were, there were obvious, um, length, uh, things we had to worry about for, well, we did want to get into film festivals for exposure and things like that. So we, yeah, we tried exactly. to, to do that. Um, so we, we got the film to a, a good point after about two years 
um, sent it off to $11 bill. Um, they helped edit it um, because a lot of what I did was based off the script and the script wasn't necessarily considering cuts and things of that nature. And so I animated head and tail on things, knowing that we'd probably cut them down or, or transition. So $11 bill took it on, edited it down, added a couple you know, post effects where, where they needed to, and really did a great job of, of really tightening up the story and, and all the animation. Um, and then we went to, to music and, uh, Daniel uh, Alec, um, amazing composer, he, Mark, and Lisa went to Moscow, and we had a, a huge orchestra and choir who performed all original works that Daniel had wow. composed for the film, and uh, which is just got released on CD, and it's on Spotify. How do you spell places. Daniel's last name? Uh, A-L-E-C-H, I believe. And I'll send C- you links links to these things. That's awesome. Um but How did you guys in? get a get an orchestra? If oh. I might jump in and ask. Well, one of the reasons they went to Moscow, um, uh, just for cost more than anything, but but also talent. There's an amazing, um, you know, Daniel knew that to make this a moving piece because it, it is all about the heartstrings, as they say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that it would require strings and and some of the more orchestral instruments, and he's like. Look, if we're going to do it, we're we're going to do it right. And so, um, and the choir was was a later addition, um, but really brought it home. I mean, um, and, and while I wasn't there for it, I actually had a, a live feed for part of it, which was amazing to hear it go down. But yeah, um, man, you know, just gives you chills. It, it definitely does. And you know, one of one of the coolest things, you know, we, we got it done. I built the website, which is at thetattoodtorah.com if anyone wants to check it out. Um, you know, because we wear many hats. You know, like I called myself a unicorn before. Mark's like, do you know anybody who can build the website? I'm like, dude, this is our project. I'm going to build the website. Just, <laughs> you know, let's, let's do it together. And so I, I, I built it. And, and look, you know, if I didn't know how to do that, I would have gone and found somebody. But again, experience, let me, let me jump on that. And I'm not afraid to wear the other hats. And you know, peop, that's something else people need to remember. Don't don't be afraid or, or or you know too much ego to, you know, somebody needs to lay some gaff tape down. Grab the darn roll of gaff tape and put it down on the ground. You know, it, it, no job is above you if, if you're in this for the right reasons. You know, and 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 you learn something and and you make a friend because you help somebody out. So I anyway, love that. And what was the yeah. process of of getting Oscar nominated? Well, that that uh, that has been a crazy ride. We did not win. We were nominated in the long list. We didn't make the short list, unfortunately. But man, when you lose out to Pixar, I don't feel that bad about it. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like another indie film. I would have been like, ah, ours was better than that. But you know, I, we we didn't do it for that. But uh, you know, we we had been in a lot of festivals. I think we were probably in maybe twenty some odd uh, at that point when we first applied oh, wow. for the. Academy Awards and we, we fit, we, we ticked all the boxes. So we said, why not, you know, why not put in for it? Uh, Cause imagine how far the story will go if, you know, if we win or even, you know, get to the, the last round. And, and so we did. And, and uh, like I said, we were one of 96 films in the long list. Uh, and I guess they brought it down to five or five or four for the, the short list. So, but yeah, very exciting. Um, 
like you rolled off at the top top of the hour. I I've been blessed to win a bunch of awards. Uh, awards. I'm not about the awards. I, I probably could have won a lot more. I just don't submit my own stuff. I, it, I'm too busy working, to be honest. But you know, it, it was really cool. And you know, my um, uh, my mom passed away in January, and so this was like the big thing for her. She she got to see this whole process happening. She's like, "Oh my gosh, you could be on the Oscars!" And I'm like, "Well, this year because the pandemic, probably we wouldn't be at the Oscars. And plus, it's a technical, you know, uh, best animated short is not like one of the main categories per se. So, um, but yeah, it was exciting. And you know, can't say it's a once in a career possibility, but man, for such a, a, a good story, a good educational tool, I was, I was excited to see us get to that point. And, and to spin off that, um, Steven Spielberg's uh, Shoah Foundation, what, what that is, uh, Shoah is the Hebrew word for the Holocaust. Mm. Uh, he established this many years ago to uh, record Holocaust survivors' testimonials for future generations before they're all gone, and, and many are, obviously, due, due to age. But um, his Shoah Foundation resides at the USC uh, in California. And so they were one of the big supporters uh, and presenters of the film. Um, so we are now part of the USC Shoah Foundation, which is the link I'm, I'm going to share with you to put put in in our post here. Uh, where people can go watch the film. It is part of the educational program at USC Shoah, and uh, it's being used to teach um, school-aged children about the Holocaust. They they actually wrote a whole educational program based on the short film and uh, have made it available to be shared in classrooms and other places around around the country. And we, we have done um, a bunch of Q&A Zoom uh, screenings across the country as well, which have been great fun i'll be happy to go to them in person again but uh we did one or two before everything started but yeah the the show foundation is is really cool and, and spielberg has seen it and and has given it his thumbs up uh, of approval so he he really liked what we did so that that was hey as a filmmaker and and a kid growing up with et and and raiders and all the other good stuff uh that, that's a pretty good thumbs up in my book i'm with you brother man that is that is exciting and and jeff you've been such a great storyteller, so generous with your time. I, I've had just a blast. And, and to your point earlier about creating space through listening, I have I've been able to learn so much just by sitting back and, and hearing the, the variety um, of experiences you've been through. I, a lot of people in this audience uh, are going to cling on to some of the notes you gave and thoughts you gave around staying in business and um, the artist side versus sort of the sales side, the business side. And I think I would really regret it if I didn't share what I would call the very best sales pitch I've ever read, perhaps top, top 10. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read it out loud uh, for this audience. Uh, And (laughs) I just, I just think you did an amazing job here. So, Here's the, here's the, here's the sales pitch. I solve problems visually. I am about the whole, not the drill. I make your business look better, help your product sell better, forge your brand into a household name. I take what you have and extrapolate it into something more. I am a founder, a leader, and a game changer. 
I exist outside the normal lines of thought. I am an agent of transformation, a disruptor. You may not know it, but you need someone like me. I live, breathe, and eat creative. I mean, my goodness, I, I read that and I wanted to hire you and I don't have a project to hire you on. I said, well, just put just put that man in the room with me while I'm creating something, <laughs> please, and, and, and we'll be great. But I love it because it speaks to everything that you're about, which is like, there's this idea of that you've mentioned a few times, like, I don't have any pride, you know, if the job pays the bills, I'll take it, you know, this, right. you know, but there's a flip side of that too, which is don't be so uh, shy and scared to say who you are and what you're good at. And yeah. you're, and you've always, um, from my research, uh, you've always been able to do that, to step out and say, no, I'm not going to pretend to be something below what I really am. I'm going right. to tell you and, and I'm going to stand by it. I, I, I do have a question about that very first line because it jumps right out at you. Sure. I solve problems visually. I am about the whole, not the drill. What does that mean, being about the whole and not the drill? Well, I'm, I'm about the result, not how we get there. Um, and that's why I say it's about the message, not the media. Um, if we get the message across, doesn't matter if we drew it on a napkin or if we made a feature film about it. Um, if we get that story across, that's our job, you know? And so I'm the drill, you know, that that's, that's the, the reality. Sometimes I'm a hammer, you know, it depends on what, what the job entails, but yeah, you, you got, it's all about the end result. It's all about, and in my case, it's visual, you know, but uh, other people, it's, it's the written word. Other people, it's, it's how they paint your house, you know, but it, it it's that end result and something to be, to be proud of, you know, that's, that's really it. Jeff, tell everybody where, they can find your work online uh, where they can maybe find you on social media or, or even reach out to you or even see some of your work. Um, where, where, where can we, where can we get in touch with you at? Well, the best place um, is getpiddle.com. Everyone spells my last name wrong. They think it's D's it's T's. So it's G E T P I T T L E.com. Um, showcases a lot of my work and Hey, I'm my worst client. Cause I don't always have time to update the website, but there's a lot of good stuff on there to dig through. <laughs> Anybody who ever wants, and and I, I am friendly. I am a mentor. Reach out to me, jpanimator at gmail.com is the best place to reach me. Email wise, I, I would always accept conversations. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can definitely find me there. Uh, I'm on social media. I may not be as active as some other people, but I'm working. So, you know, w when there's something to say, I say it, but, um, Gosh, I uh, I've always loved collaborating. Even uh, you know, people will come to me and go, "Man, you must be expensive. This website's only three hundred bucks. I, I don't even want to bother you with it." I'm like, you know what? Let's have a conversation. Maybe I can't do it myself, but maybe I can lead you in the right direction or connect you to somebody who can that I trust. You know, and if we don't talk about it, we don't know the answers. And so please reach out. Uh, that's look, that's how I get most of my business and that's how I help people. Um, and, and I'll just throw out, you know, my, my, my little last thought is, uh, you know, be humble and, and be kind. I know there's songs written about it. I, I live in Nashville so that there's some country music, but that's, that's what I live by. I mean, I, I'm no better than anybody else. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I've got talent. I get things done, but you know, I can always learn from somebody else. Even people starting out, you may have a different, a different view than I do. And I, I wasn't looking at it with different eyes. So 
don't be afraid to listen and uh, and and take take somebody uh, that you may not have otherwise connected with and, and talk to them because man uh, we we learn every, every day from from everybody we deal with. I love that. And and we'll end on this for as much as you've bounced around in your career and you self-admittedly cannot do repetition. It just bores you to death. There are some things that you have stayed consistent at, for example, wishing Jim Henson and Walt Disney happy birthday every year. But, <laughs> uh-huh. but, you, but on Twitter, you also logged your Fitbit steps every day for, it seemed like four or five years. I with did. The, and, and one time you, you had 21,817 steps logged and then in 2018 it just stopped so what happened well it's it's funny i um and and i'm not saying this for to to get sympathy from anyone thank god i'm here i had cancer about 13 years ago pretty serious and mm-hmm. came through healthy today so there was a long time there that i was all about getting my steps in eating healthy i still am i just don't my Fitbit broke, I think, in 2018. I just never replaced it. So that's why why that went silent. And it was like one of those little apps you connect them, so it's always reporting stuff. But, you know, the other reason I did it, people cheer you on, you know, and, and that's important. Man, when, uh, when, when we work what I want to call in a vacuum, you know, when I work from home, I'm by myself. Yeah, my, my fiance comes and says, man, that looks awesome. Hey, what about pink? And I'm like, what are you, crazy? You don't know the brand. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but you're by yourself. That's what the pandemic has kind of really brought aware to a lot of us is, look, you know, either we're part of a team or we're solo, you know. But but this has kind of brought it home of, you know, you can you can be alone a lot of the time and lost in your work. But having somebody cheer you on, even just like a, a Facebook post on a painting I did, which I thought was cool, but nobody else is going to see. And like somebody from high school goes, dude, you've always had talent. That is awesome. And I'm like, man, he didn't have to stop his day and say anything. And, and that's really cool. And it made me feel good. And I'm not out there fishing for compliments. I just want to share the work. And, and so, yeah, you know, support, you know, support your, your artists, support your filmmakers, Support your dreams. You know, don't give up on stuff. I'm writing my first book. I've been working on it for three years. Not done with it yet. It's awesome. I'm close. I'm close. So when, when it's out, I'll let you know. But, uh, you know, being a creative person, you got to try every flavor of creative. Uh, I, I haven't learned to play guitar yet, but I'm going to do that because I want to do music. You know, so you just keep doing what you do and, and don't let anybody talk you down. That's 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 my opinion on it. Well, that's a great place to stop. I, I have to tell you that I've probably gotten through maybe 50 percent of the questions and research <laughs> that I have on you. So we definitely have to do a round two. And sure. I would I would definitely look forward to it. this is so much fun It's a blast. And I hope everyone takes your advice there at the end, which is have someone in your corner to encourage you and, and learn the lesson from this pan- pandemic. Not that we should be alone, but how valuable it was when we were connected and could yes. and perhaps took that for granted. Uh, Jeff, I hope to talk to you soon. Uh, maybe coffee, maybe cocktails, whatever you want to do. I hope we get a chance to do this in person the next time and the pandemic is behind us. So I'm vaccinated, looking forward to going out in public when the zombie apocalypse ends. But uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you, Christopher. And uh, looking forward to, to round two when we get to it. I love it. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. 
To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.